0: Hey there. Welcome to The Lounge. I'm your host, Keith Farley, inviting you to put the top down and hit the open road with us. We've got a collection of stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you groove with the rhythms of the seasons. This month's lounge is all about growing up. John Ballinger and Double Batch Daddy will share a couple of tunes with us. In honor of Pride Month, The burglars of Ham have written a new modern fable about the gay man who did not seem gay enough. The voice of Wile E. Coyote and Netflix's boss baby, J.P. Karliak, will join us to share how he grew to become a successful voice actor and how he created Queervox to foster LGBTQ inclusion in the voiceover industry. Ann and I will share with you a wonderful movie about fathers and sons, and we'll pair it with one of our family's favorite dishes. And a little later, we'll talk about how best to honor all the people in our lives who help us grow into who we're meant to be. So, here we are, halfway through our trip around the sun. We're about to celebrate the longest day of the year, and things couldn't be brighter. Sunrise in Los Angeles came at 541 this morning, and it sets at 804. In Juneau, Alaska, the sun never really goes down this time of year. It just dips below the horizon and then rises again almost immediately. June is a busy little month. Baseball season is in full swing, pun intended, and the basketball and hockey playoffs are well underway. It's Pride Month, where we celebrate the contributions of our LGBTQ friends and family even more than we usually do. Our kids are graduating from school, and folks are getting married all over the place. The newest federal holiday, Juneteenth, where we commemorate the end of slavery, is right around the corner. Flag Day is the day after tomorrow, and in a week or so, we take the time to honor the fathers in our lives. Sweet summer fruits like cherries, melons, and peaches fuel the sugar high that comes with the beginning of summer. It's time to leave the stove behind and step outside to grill some sweet corn alongside all the hearty, smoky meats and wash it all down with an ice-cold pitcher of sun tea. In June, the Sun King sits on his throne and invites us to bask in the warmth of his radiance. It's time to throw off not only the coats and parkas of winter, but just about all of our other clothes as well. It's time for a cool swim in an alpine lake where the winter snow crystals have transformed into crystal-clear waters. It's time to pitch a tent and sleep outside, to marvel at the magnitude of the universe as we stare up at a blanket of stars in the night sky. June is a time to celebrate our accomplishments, to declare publicly our commitments to love and learning and justice, and to honor those who've lifted us up, whether that's our biological fathers or any of the many teachers, mentors, counselors, spouses, and friends who believed in us enough to shine their light and warmth upon us so that we might grow up strong. If the year were a day, June would be high noon. So welcome to the Golden Afternoon.
1: Little bread and butterflies kiss their two lips And the sun is like a toy balloon There I get up in the morning, glory In the golden afternoon. There are dizzy daffodils on the hillside. Strings of violets are all in tune. Tiger lilies love the dandelions in the golden afternoon. There are dog and caterpillars and a copper centipede. Where the lazy daisies love The very peaceful life they lead You can learn a lot of things from the flowers For especially in the month of June There's a wealth of happiness and romance Mm People
0: Is often a rite of passage for our lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender friends and family. But even if you're proudly out, is it possible that you might wonder if you're still a little bit in? That's the question that our protagonist ponders in this new modern fable from the L.A.-based comedy collective The Burglars of Ham.
2: Once upon a time, there was an older gay man. To be clear, this meant he was kind of old compared to younger people, and that he had sex with other men. That was basically it. However, living in a world filled with straight people did present some challenges. You see, in the view of many heterosexuals, the man seemed pretty straight. And this they found both intoxicating and bewildering. For this reason, the man was known as the gay man who did not seem gay enough. One day, while drinking a scotch at his favorite sports bar, the gay man who did not seem gay enough found himself cornered by another one of the regulars.
3: I like you, man. I really do. Thank you. You know, I always forget you're gay. Every time I see you here, I forget you're gay. Yeah, I know. You say that a lot. You don't talk gay. You're always going on about that Bob Seger album. It's weird. Your dog is pretty gay, though. That is a gay man's dog. Should I get rid of him? I mean, look at your freaking hands. Those are some big manly hands. What the hell, bro?
2: And on and on it went. This sort of thing happened all the time. But the situation seemed harmless. And the gay man, who did not seem gay enough, just tried to roll with it. As he motioned for the check, his acquaintance looked at him in bleary-eyed camaraderie.
3: Listen, I am totally cool with gay dudes. Totally cool. Especially ones like you, where it isn't all weird. I actually went camping with one once. Really? Which one? Um, Robert. Tall. Mexican.
2: The gay man who did not seem gay enough was pretty sure he did not know tall Mexican Robert. And so he paid his check, picked up his gay dog, and headed home to watch the Conor McGregor fight all on his own. The next day, the gay man who did not seem gay enough attended a standing weekly brunch thrown by his friend Evan. He noted with some relief that this was an incredibly gay gathering. As he sipped a whiskey sour, he listened to his friends share amusing stories from the past week. Then, he shared his own story, telling his friends about the straight guy from the bar the night before. It did not have the effect he anticipated.
3: I'm sorry, but that story pisses me off. What? No, it was, it was just kind of funny. Oh, honey... You don't have to pretend to be anything you're not. I mean, how hard is it? Birth sex, gender identity, sexual attraction, they're separate freaking constructs. Gay, bi, cis, pansexual, demisexual, it's not like they're determinative of any of the broad identity vectors. Listen, baby, don't you ever surrender your identity scaffold to suit some normative binary goon. This was
2: Elijah, also known as the man who used too many buzzwords.
3: Who is this idiot breeder, anyway? And tell me where this bar is so I can never go there. Really, it was fine. Listen, all we're saying is, you don't have to hide anything about your beautiful self. You're perfect, just as you are. The gay man
2: who did not seem gay enough excused himself and went to the bathroom. His face felt hot, and he had the strange sensation that he might cry. Was he not being himself? He was almost sure he was he truly liked classic rock and he couldn't care less if he got mustard on his shirt he was gay because he had sex with men was that not enough by the time he got home he felt extremely anxious he decided he would take his little gay dog for a walk and give it a good think he walked briskly through downtown l.a shuffling through his memory searching for something to explain why he wasn't gay enough. Slowly but surely, episodes bubbled up to the surface. The fifth grader who didn't like his hairstyle.
4: What's with a girly hair, fag?
2: A high school friend who pulled him aside between classes.
3: Straighten your wrist, man. People will think you're a
2: fag. Maybe these episodes affected him more than he realized. Did they influence how he presented himself to the world? Did they cause him to straighten his wrists, affect his speech, change the way he walked? Had he been hiding his true self from everyone, everywhere, for his entire life? Ah! His outburst was mostly ignored because, well, he was in downtown L.A., where primal screams are a regular occurrence. His little gay dog stared at him with great concern.
3: Sorry, buddy. Let's go grab a drink. Ah!
2: Soon enough, the gay man who did not seem gay enough found himself back at the bar, ordering a sweet little gay cocktail that he didn't really want. A younger man took a seat beside him. Mind if I sit here? Please. Actually, let me clarify. He wasn't younger. He was much, 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 much younger. What are you drinking? A Cosmo.
3: I hate it.
4: <laughs> well, let's get you something you like, then. Excuse me. Yeah? Uh, another another drink for my friend here?
2: The bartender approached and hoisted a familiar bottle in the air.
4: Maker's
0: Rocks?
2: Please. The gay man, who did not seem gay enough, stared at the ice in his glass, carefully considering his next
3: words. It's refreshing to see you here. <laughs> What do you mean? Not a lot of gay men come here. Oh, you're gay. Jesus Christ, yes!
4: Sorry, Uh, guess I just wanted to... Can
3: I ask you a question? Uh, sure.
2: What do you think of my hands? At that exact moment, a young woman who had just finished her third glass of white wine appeared between them and latched on to the younger man.
4: Excuse me, I just have to say, your outfit is amazing. That blouse is beautiful. You're sweet! It's my favorite one. Can I ask who who is it it's vintage jp gautier oh love it love it thank you have a good night does that happen to you a lot fifth time tonight
3: your hands are nice by the
4: way oh thank you why ask about them
3: well last night i had someone sort of imply that these were not the kind of hands that a gay man would have huh Uh, may i sure
2: the young man took the hand of the gay man who did not seem gay enough. He stared at the large palm and traced his slender fingers along the deep lines.
4: Yep. That's a good hand. Thank you. You're welcome.
3: I guess I don't put a lot of effort into... I don't know. Are you familiar with Bob Seeger?
4: Never heard of him.
3: I guess I kind of seem... Straight? Or, so everyone keeps telling me.
4: Whenever someone is confused by me, I just tell them I'm gay. (laughs) I think the first time was when I was in sixth grade. Holy crap! Sixth grade?! We were playing Call of Duty, and we were talking about who we wanted to go to the dance with, and I said, Ethan. Wow! What happened? I think they said something like, Cover me while I storm this bunker. That kind of became a catchphrase for us throughout junior high when someone stated the obvious. (laughs) Cover me while I storm this bunker.
2: The gay man who did not seem gay enough stared at the face of the young man.
4: Look, I'm younger than you. My family never tried to change me and neither did my friends. I'm queer. I never had to become queer because it's what I've always been. I do realize I'm lucky.
2: As they sipped their drinks... Something passed between them.
4: What? What is it? Do I seem authentic to you? (laughs) I mean, I don't really know you, so...
3: Do you think I'm pretending or hiding something?
2: The young man furrowed his brow slightly as he sized up the gay man who did not seem gay enough. Actually...
4: I think you could be more authentic.
2: Okay. Do you want me to show you how? Sure. The young man rose from his bar stool and stepped behind the gay man who did not seem gay enough.
4: You don't have a bad gag reflex, do you? What? I'm kidding.
2: (laughs) And with that, the young man took strands of the older man's hair into his hands and began twisting them into intricate braids. The gay man who did not seem gay enough could feel the pressure on his scalp as his hair was pulled tight into new directions and designs. He couldn't see what it looked like, but as he scanned the room and saw people watching them, he could feel their thoughts. Well, those two are gay. He liked it. The pulling and the twisting and the tying continued for a long time. Finally, the young man spun the older man around. Go take a look. The gay man who did not seem gay enough headed to the bathroom, closed the door, and flipped on the light. He didn't quite recognize himself. The tight silhouette of his head, the precision and the detail. He was lovely. Maybe tomorrow he would go back to his old ways.
1: Felt like a million Felt like number one
2: But tonight, this was who he was And he liked it I never felt that
1: strong Like a rock
2: He exited the bathroom to rejoin his new friend As he stepped around the corner, he bumped into someone
3: Oh, sorry, excuse me
2: It was the straight guy who liked to go camping with gay Mexican Robert Don't you remember me?
3: that gay dude. Yep, that's me. My hands were
1: steady. My eyes were clear and bright. My walk had purpose. My steps were quick and light. And I held firm to what I felt was right. Like a rock. An arrow straight, Charging from the, gate, the, way,
0: the Burglars of Ham have been called LA's goofiest social satirists by the Los Angeles Times. Their award winning play, Land of the Tigers, is available at Stage Rights Publishing. Hope you're enjoying our lounge this month. We're on a mission to get you where you want to go with humor and heart. It's the same great stories, songs, and conversations as always, with an emphasis on finding ways to help you achieve your goals by grooving with the rhythms of the season. If you get something valuable out of this podcast, we hope you'll take a moment to share a little something with us. Head to livefromtheloungepodcast.com, click the Donate button, and help us keep this podcast coming to you season after season. Thanks for listening. And thanks in advance for your generosity. J.P. Karliak is a talented actor who is the voice of The Boss Baby on Netflix. He's also a social activist and a self-described snappy dresser. I'm grateful that he was generous enough to take a little time away from planning his upcoming wedding to share some stories with us. Welcome to The Lounge. It's good to have you here.
5: So glad to be here. Long-time listener, first-time appearance. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am so glad you came over and that you could be here live, so I can... Yeah, well, I mean, the, the title, it felt like I should be. <laughs> We're inching ever closer to actually being live sure. from The Lounge. But I'm grateful you're here today. Um, where did you grow up? Tell me a little bit about your, your childhood and how you caught
5: the bug. I'm originally from Scranton, Pennsylvania. I mean, I caught the bug fairly early. Uh, I did a Missoula Children's Theater production in middle school uh, where I played the fox in Pinocchio. And, you know, give me a good villain and I'm set and ready to go. I always say that I feel that there's two types of voiceover actors. There's the ones that have been wanting to do this since they were kids and then there's the ones who were who were roadies and music and kind of fell into it. <laughs>
3: yes.
5: <laughs> and I'm I'm kind of the a weird hybrid in the sense that I loved cartoons and I wanted to do cartoons, but because of Robin Williams as the genie, I was under the impression like, okay, so I need to be a famous on-camera actor, and then I will be allowed to enter into voiceover. So I went to school with the intent to specifically be on TV and in film. And then uh, I met Kelly Ward, who taught at uh, USC, which which is where I went to college. But as some people may know, he's also a, a prolific animation director. And a lot of people were like, you do funny voices. You should talk to Kelly. And he just sort of laid out, like, I want you to study with this group of people, one of them being Bob Bergen. A.K.A. Porky Pig, who became my mentor, and then I was like, "Oh, I don't need to be famous." Well, sweet, that 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 makes this easier. And then you ended up on a Warner
0: Brothers cartoon yourself.
5: I did, opposite Bob Bergen. I was Wiley e. Coyote uh, for the show Wabbit, A.K.A. New Looney Tunes. It was great. And now you're working
0: uh, at DreamWorks. You've been uh, you've been the boss, baby.
5: I have been. I have. And been continue for... to be. Yeah. How did that one come about? Well, like so many of my roles, um, I was kind of, I was meant to be a fill-in for somebody. Well, I mean, in the broader sense, I was meant to be a fill-in for Alec Baldwin. Um, But uh, I, you know, I read the Boss Baby character and I'm like, oh, this is super fun. You know what? I'm just going to do my stupid Will Arnett impression and just have a blast with it. And I did, and I guess it resonated because I got it. But I you know I was still under the impression like oh wow unexpected but okay I'm doing scratch I'll probably do it for like you know like a few episodes and then Alec will be like yes I will take that check thank you and you know but uh, he I don't know I guess he was busy with match gamer SNL or something and he uh, I got the gig
0: and here you are here I
5: am and I also wanted to have you
0: here to talk a little bit about your activism maybe sure. we could get into nerds yeah. vote first and then the queerbox after that Yeah um, well
5: nerds vote um Nerds Vote is one of the many amazing projects that Courtney Taylor has dragged me into by the hair, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that with love. Uh, but she's really good at rallying people to a cause. And uh, she came up with this idea for Nerds Vote. Basically, how do we get nerdy people, which are gamers, cosplayers, con goers, and pop culture fans of all kinds, aka nerds, involved in our democracy? And the real touch point seemed to be conventions. So we were like, how do we make this fun? How do we engage them? So we developed the concept of, if Steve Bloom, as as a, for instance, is the one who gives you a sticker and tells you to go register to vote because it's cool, and you love Wolverine or, you know, one of the many other characters that Steve Bloom has played, you might be, yes, Steve Bloom, I will go do that. You know, it wasn't a partisan thing. It, was, it's, it remains not a partisan thing. It's always been about just getting people registered and voting in every election, every time, and doing so in an informed way, like do the research and make it fun by uh, splitting up Like my partner and I, just the other day, you know, we sat down with a glass of wine, we divvied up the races for, and there's always a lot in California. And we're like, okay, who's, I'm doing a judge, you're doing a judge, cool. And, you know, we made it fun and just like made it a game. And by the end of the night, we were like, we have a ballot. Where do people find nerds vote? How do they get involved? What's the story? The best place to go is to our website, nerdsvote.com. On our website, you can register to vote. You can check to see if they have your address correct. Maybe you've recently moved. Um, Or if you're under 18, uh, you can also pledge to vote. And you'll get a little text reminder. It's like, hey, you're turning 18. You want to register now? So um, there's a bunch of ways to get involved.
0: And that's nerdsvote.com. Very simple. It's super easy. Easy to find.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the other project that you've started in the last couple of years, which I'm very, very much interested in, is QueerVox. Yes. Tell me about QueerVox.
5: So about a, uh, in the beginning of uh, 2021, uh, I was having some conversations with casting friends where we were simultaneously celebrating, like, hey, there's a lot more trans and non-binary roles that were appearing in animation and video games. Cool, cool, cool. But we found that they were often not authentically cast. And just sort of figuring out, well, why is that? And, you know, a lot of the discussion included, like, it's just impossible to find these people. So I started to think about, all right, well, is it maybe that for the trans and non-binary actors out there, having never really heard themselves in voiceover, maybe they're just pr- predominantly pursuing stage and non-camera, and we need to provide a training ground for voiceover so that they can get into that pipeline. The whole goal was, I'm just gonna start a class, I'll have 20 people, and just start, you know, training these people on a pay-what-you-can basis. But I got so much interest, I mean, I, I did an application process like, expecting 20, and I got 200. And ended up creating a Discord community and a Facebook page and, you know, all sorts of stuff to get this community together and, you know, exchanging best practices. So QueerVox has developed into, on one hand, an academy where we train um, LGBTQIA voice actors. And, on the, and also work to connect them to industry professionals. And on the other hand, we do kind of what I call like back-end work where we do ED, uh, equity and diversity work with industry professionals, casting agents, showrunners, uh, developers at, at video game companies, and talk to them about best practices of like, okay, you wanna create a character. So one of the things that we try to get people out of the habit of is, um, we want you to have a non-binary sound. Yes, look. I'm thrilled that you're casting trans non-binary people as non-human characters. Like, yes, they can play talking mushrooms and fairy people and orcs. Cool. How about we move up a level to maybe them playing themselves, being able to play trans and non-binary people? And hey, if you want bonus points, why don't you let them play straight and cis people too? Because, spoiler, we've been playing them all our lives. At the end of the day, it's not about excluding or gatekeeping in any way. It's more about when an actor gets an audition if they just take the time to ask themselves, is this my story to tell? And kind of proceeding from there and, may, and knowing themselves and the nuance of their lives, if they feel that they bring something authentic to that character, go for it. It's when we try to be like, I'm, a, I'm an ultra talented actor and therefore I can get into anything I don't understand. And it's like, well, can you? And even if you can, I mean, we've all seen some great straight and cis people play some amazing queer folks. But do you recognize that you are effectively taking money away from somebody who could be telling their own story? You're preventing a queer person from earning wealth, telling their own story. So that's, you know, that's sort of what we get into. And where do
0: folks go to find this? Or if it's an, an actor um, who
5: wants to become involved with QueerVox, mm-hmm. how go, does that what's that process? Like? Uh, go to QueerVox.org. And uh, we have signups for not only for actors to join our community and get involved or to find out more about classes, but also if you're a casting professional or somebody who works at a company that wants to learn more, do EDI work with us or just get on our, get access to our database so you can find actors like us. There's demos. You can search by gender identity, race, age, um, uh, union status, uh, all sorts of stuff to find, you know, the specific people that are coming up a lot in scripts what a gift to the community that
0: is what drove you what took you i mean it's very easy to come to los angeles with a dream of being an actor um realizing that dream and then just continuing to parlay that into more and more success but you really took the opportunity to put a hand out to bring other people along with you where does that come from
5: I, I think it's a couple of things. I love acting. I find it maybe 80% fulfilling because there's that, there is that little element of that you're fulfilling somebody else's vision. And there's something about wanting to help create your own. So that's part of it. And I think another part of it is selfishly, truly, I found that I didn't know a ton of trans or non-binary people. And I felt like, I was a lesser person for not having that type of group of people in my life, and also through meeting them, and you know, and the and the wide variety of queer people that are just in the voiceover community alone, I've learned more about myself. I mean, I it's it's through understanding them that I've understood that I'm in fact gender queer. I've been talking to some of the other like Sarah Elmale and Brock Powell who teach with me, and we've all talked about how talking with these students has helped us understand our identities a little more, or at least think about them a little more. Like, hmm, what are the words that I use to describe myself and what feels right? Where are you headed next? I'm getting married. <laughs> that's true. <right. laughs> Past that, I have no idea.
0: <laughs> what are the words that you use to describe yourself? It can be a useful exercise to sit down and think about it for a bit. You might surprise yourself with what you discover, and that's always a good feeling. We wish JP and Scott all the best as they take the next step in their relationship. If you're interested in learning more about QueerVox, you can steer your browser to queervox.org. We'll be right back with dinner and a movie. You never know the twists and turns that life will take, especially if you've chosen a career in the arts. Hopefully, You have people around who are willing to lend their support and who are even willing to carry you when you feel like you can't take another step. The Actors Fund is an organization that does just that. It provides stability and resiliency to artists throughout their careers. Services provided by your generous donations to the fund include emergency financial assistance, affordable housing, health care and insurance counseling, senior care, secondary career development, and more. For more information about the Actors Fund or to make a tax-deductible donation, go to theactorsfund.org. Hello there. Welcome back. It is time, after a bit of a delay...
6: It's only been one episode. Delay. Well, it's
0: two months since we've had dinner and a movie together.
6: Hi, Keith. That's me, Anne again, <laughs> sitting across the microphone.
0: <laughs> Talking about movies as we head into June, which is the opening of the blockbuster summer movie season. You okay. know, I think back to the summer, great summer blockbuster movies, mm-hmm. like the ones that really lived up to expectations. I think of my 29th birthday. Yeah. It was opening night of Jurassic Park, but yes. we had gone to Six Flags. Yes, during the day, went back to the house, had a little barbecue, and then saw like the 10:30 show. Oh,
6: that's right. It was 10:30.
0: That was a maybe one of the greatest opening nights ever. And then I think of like Star Wars lived up to the hype in 1977.
6: I remember seeing Grease at the drive-in in in the summer, and I thought that was so risque as a little kid. Raiders? Yeah. I think I'm super excited about taking the projector out to the lawn and doing movies at home. I always like it when you put out, like, you put out Meatballs last year and Phantom of the Paradise, and so many people hadn't seen it. And on Halloween, when we throw up our Halloween movie favorites, and the whole village comes by just to stand and watch the movies in our yard. It's fun.
0: Movies are fun. And there'll be a lot of opportunities this summer for dinner and a movie here, right? here well, at the house.
6: I enjoyed today sitting in the living room and getting reacquainted with the movie we're picking for this month.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, we, we were trying to look for something that was thematically appropriate for the month of June when we're talking about uh, growing up. It's also Father's Day, and it's Pride Month.
6: And you throw in a little Ewan McGregor, and you got a really great movie!
0: <laughs> so the movie we're going to talk about today um, was made in, back in 2010. Director Mike Mills, uh, whose Come On, Come On we recommended as one of the best movies we saw last year— Made a beautiful film called uh, Beginners. It stars Ewan McGregor, Christopher Plummer, who won every acting award imaginable uh, for an astoundingly good performance. Melanie Laurent is incredible. Cute as a button. And it's really about growing up, but late because he's 38.
6: And his father is coming out at seventy-five.
0: Everybody's late. They're they're beginning yeah. late they, in wherever life.
6: they're at. Wherever they're at.
0: So tell us a little bit about what you loved about this movie.
6: Um, I thought it was terribly romantic and terribly real at the same time. It was very um, humanistic. It was a dreamy, a dreamy romantic. Um, Film not only through, like, love romantic, but personal relationships.
0: It's about a a man in his mid-30s, late 30s, uh, whose father, after his mom dies, reveals that he's been gay his whole life. And then starts to live into that. Meanwhile, we see this young artist, and he begins a relationship with an actress. But the movie doesn't play out like... A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It's a movie that really feels like life. And it bounces from the present to the past um, in a way that I think the heart and the mind do as we live our lives. Things trigger memories. Things trigger emotions um, for us. And the movie just does that to great effect.
6: The one thing I love about Ewan McGregor and his style of performance is he's so vulnerable and um, honorable in his performances, and I felt that his love for his father um, was never changed. It just evolved with his father's new beginning and um, and the beginning of their new relationship.
0: And there's a wonderful thing that Mike Mills does. He'll hold on Ewan McGregor watching his father. Ugh,
6: I know it's. So it's just beautiful. such a
0: beautiful moment of him, just like, what is happening? Yeah, it's a switch. From... And he's loving it. He's yeah. going with it. He's not like he's saying what is happening in a way that's like judgmental. He's just like, this is my dad.
6: He did. He did it with "Come on, come on, too," in which he does, you know, our human experience so effortlessly. Sometimes movies, they they contrive situations for the drama of it. And this, this has drama, but it also has the real emotions of life and, um, and not a contrived movie version of the human experience.
0: Yeah, and we get to see the Ewan McGregor character grow up a little bit, even though he's late to the game. He's yeah. a beginner at 38, mm-hmm. just like his dad was a beginner at 75. Right. It's a beautiful film. We can't recommend it enough. Beginners. Uh, Mike Mills' beautiful film uh, about fathers and sons and pride. The history of the the gay movement from what it was like to be gay in the 50s to what it's like to be gay in the early 2000s.
6: I, I love it when he, there's a scene where he hands him a sticker of the flag and he was the like, I'm flag. giving this to you. And the son's like, yeah, everybody knows what this is. And he goes... No, I don't think so. And what he's talking about is himself. And it was just such a sweet moment of of the two of them communicating in a new way with a sense of humor and it's really sweet. It was really And
0: sweet. nothing in this movie blows up at all. No. So check it out. Beginners.
6: Well, we had a like uh, search for like what to celebrate food-wise and companion <laughs> on this one.
0: Well, the great thing is, she says at one point in the movie, um, Melanie Laurent's character says, like, he says, what do you want to do with your life? And she says, <laughs> I want to eat good Mexican food. Yeah. That's the first thing she says. So they go to a taco truck. Yeah. And they get tacos, and it's, they're sublime. And as we know, we're a stone's throw from Lancashire Boulevard, which has...
6: 20 different taco
0: stands on every single corner. Yeah,
6: there's tacos everywhere now. I love it. It's It's the beauty
0: of living in Southern California. Yeah. But if you don't live in Southern California, allow us to share with you a little recipe that we've grown quite fond of. We often will get some ground meat of some kind, whether that's chicken or pork or turkey or beef, uh, add a little bit of taco seasoning to it. Um... I make my own on occasion, which is not too difficult to do. And if you make a whole bunch of it, um, you can have it around for many, 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 many batches of taco seasoning. And you basically just brown the meat, add the seasoning with three quarters of a cup of water to a pound of, of your ground meat, and then let that simmer off, and then it infuses the meat with the delicious Tacoy flavors. Yeah, you
6: can add a little onion. You can add some chopped tomato in there. And um, and then I like to cut up some avocado and maybe some green salsa, or red salsa, if that's your jam. And you can put a little bit of cilantro on top and a little lime, lime it all up. And um, my favorite two options that we have switched out from regular tortillas, we've been doing the Jamaica wraps. Jicama. Jicama, sorry.
0: Jicama wraps uh, at Trader Joe's right now. Mm-hmm. Um, really thinly sliced rounds of jicama.
6: Have them any way you want
0: to. Yeah. You know you, you can also do the tacos. carne asada thing where you just take the meat and cook it on the grill and season it up.
6: And you got tacos for days.
0: Enjoy tacos and and give your heart a little lift um, during Pride Month. And check out Mike Mills' excellent movie. Beginners.
6: Happy Father's Day to all you fathers.
0: Looking forward to the summer full of movies. We'll be back.
6: Happy birthday, Keith.
0: Oh, shucks.
6: Oh, here's your birthday song. It isn't very long. Hey! (laughs)
1: Taxpats take. A sunny afternoon and I can't sail my yacht he's taking everything I've got all I've got's this sunny afternoon save me save me save me, save me from this squeeze, from this squeeze. Summer in the summertime. In the summer time. In the summer time. In the summer time. The,
0: the poet E.E. E. Cummings says, It takes courage to grow up and become who you really are. I grew up in the 1970s and 80s. My friends and I fumbled our way toward adulthood, often without parental guidance of any kind. We joked that we should not be known as Generation X, but as the unsupervised generation. We left for school after breakfast, and we weren't expected home until dinner, and even after dinner during the summer months, we'd head right back outside to ride our bikes around until the sun went down. I can't remember a single time when my parents drove me to school. I walked. I took a bus. I biked. From kindergarten on. Without parents around, we learned to be self-sufficient. I got my first job when I was 11, delivering newspapers. It started as a a one-day-a-week shopper called The Green Sheet, so named because it was printed on Green Newsprint. It went out on Thursday mornings, so 11-year-old me would jump on my bike, all by myself, at 5.30 a.m., and ride around in the dark, hurling green newspapers at strangers' front doors before school. It wasn't long before I'd moved up to covering two routes of the daily Sacramento Union with my pal Jay, and eventually, by the time I was 14 or so, I had the coveted Sacramento B route that included my parents' home. I opened a savings account with my earnings, but held just enough back so I could buy my own thrifty ice cream and admission to movies and pinball arcades. Eventually, I'd saved enough to purchase a sweet Japanese touring bicycle that was my main form of transportation to and from just about everywhere. I rode that bike on a 300-mile trip from San Francisco to Santa Cruz in the summer of 1981, And later that same summer, I purchased, with cash, a pair of audiophile loudspeakers that are still in use to this day. My parents were always supportive of me and my dreams, but they were pretty hands-off. Mom stayed at home, but was always involved in multiple committees and service work. My dad worked a nine-to-five and spent his free time hunting, gardening, watching sports, and drinking, none of which appealed to me at all. Fortunately, from 1973 to 1985, I found a few other folks who would help me grow up. There was the coach of my first Little League team who saw in me a kid who was terrified of swinging at the ball and missing. I would just stand, stock still at the plate, and pray for a walk. I guess the scouting reports got around because it wasn't long before I was watching three strikes whistle past my midsection every time I was at the plate. But instead of leaving me on the bench, my coach put me up at the plate one day at practice and told me to swing at every single pitch. He threw, I swung away, and experienced the joy of watching baseball sail into the outfield grass. "'You can really hit, kid,' he said to me afterwards. "'Tell you what, you watch me during the next game, "'and I'll signal you when I want you to swing "'and when I want you to wait. "'You don't have to think about it at all.' "'He grew me from a benchwarmer "'to a starting player in two weeks' time. "'Then there was Chuck Gebhardt, "'who built a radio and TV studio at my high school.' He taught me how a top 40 format worked. The current A's, basically the top 10, play every 15 minutes. Currents, songs 11 to 25, play twice an hour, as do the recurrents, songs either coming into or fading out of the top 40. Add in an oldie or two, and bam, you're formatted. Chuck also taught me how to write and produce 30 and 60 second spots, and how to manage a crew. He encouraged a lot of my wilder ideas and even defended me to other students who were upset when I would make fun of their cute little clubs on the morning announcements. My pastors, Paul Hayden, Paul Clairville, and Arnie Peterson, taught me not to become a religious fanatic, but showed me how to practice my faith with humility, humor, and grace. My college mentor, Jerry Larson, took me under his wing almost immediately and kindled in me an enthusiasm for writing, directing, and performing that continues to this day. He taught theater history by sparking my imagination as to what a performance in ancient Greece or one at the Old Globe or the Moscow Art Theater or a mid-20th century Broadway house might be like. He taught me to respect ritual as the centerpiece of tragedy, even as he taught me cheap gags that were always good for a laugh. His playwriting class was an informal study and discussion of the form where the only requirement to get an A was to promise that someday you'd write a play. Who am I to force you to write a play in 15 weeks, he'd say. You may not be inspired till you're 40 or 50, and then, who am I to assign a letter grade to your piece? There are a lot of hugely successful plays that I despise, and a lots that I think are great, which everyone else hates. And furthermore, who am I to say you won't find more inspiration on a walk by the river or drinking a beer at the pub than you will in this classroom? Now, I'll be here every Tuesday and Thursday from 2 to 4. We'll read plays and talk about them. Hell, we'll read and talk about your pages if you want us to, but... If I never see you again after today, don't forget to send me a copy of your play when you write it. You got an A from me. I cannot overstate Doc Larson's contribution to my life. Last month, we talked about giving birth. (laughs) This month, it's all about growing up. It's the time and space when our goals are starting to be realized but still might benefit from a little parental advice. I call it the first draft phenomenon. There's such a sense of accomplishment when you finally type the end at the bottom of that last page of the essay, play, or novel that it's easy to believe that the work is over. Time to put it up, send it out to publishers, sell it to a movie studio. That's not the way writing works. Finishing the first draft is a time for celebration, to be sure. It's worth a toast or two, and maybe even a week or more away from the work, but that's just so you can come back fresh and start the process of refining and editing the piece so you can be sure that you're saying exactly what you want to say. In personal matters, the first draft is the moment when you start to see results from your new habits. Your muscles are firm because you've been exercising. The belly fat is down because you're eating differently. You breathe better because you stopped smoking. At this point, it's tempting to think that you're done and to celebrate your accomplishment with a large pizza and a pitcher of beer or the famous just one drink or smoke of your choice. Your first draft will also benefit from seeking help and support from people you trust. A long time ago, my writing partners and I wrote our first treatment of Batboy the musical. It took six months to create, and when it was done, we invited some friends over to share it with them. It did not go well. Oh, there were some funny ideas in there, but we discovered that what we'd written was just a really, really long sketch. We hadn't created a compelling story that was worthy of two hours of anyone's time. So we scrapped it, started over. Our new show, which was much better, opened in L.A. in 1997, but we still knew we had a ways to go before we'd be really happy with it. We did two workshops in New York where we learned from Stephen Schwartz and Stephen Sondheim what was working and what the show still needed. During the production of our off-Broadway run, we made changes right up until the opening night, and we've continued tinkering with it since then, including a very fruitful workshop at Harvard a few years ago. I think we're almost done, but you never know. Growing up takes time. It takes patience. It will undoubtedly involve making mistakes and learning from them. It might even require you to go back to the beginning and start over. At some point, you'll need to ask for help from people who've already walked the path you seek to tread. They can point out the stumbling blocks along the way and provide encouragement when the path gets steep so you don't give up. And at some point, you may find you need to reconcile your relationship with your actual parents in order to really grow up. This doesn't mean you need to learn to like them. They might still be abusive or addicted or unstable. It just means learning to understand the ways you've been influenced by them for better and worse and letting go of the habits and ideas that are holding you back from growing up. Here's to all the fathers out there, be they biological or chosen, be they male or female. We salute all of the people in our lives who helped us find the courage to grow up and become who we really are.
1: I moving round and round Pushing life up from the cold dead ground He's rolling
0: That's Our Lounge. We want to hear about your summer plans, your coming out stories, and the people in your life who helped you grow up. We're on all the social media platforms, or you can shoot us an email at livefromthelounge640 at gmail.com. And if you like the way lounging makes you feel, we'd invite you to make a donation to help us keep this podcast coming to you month after month and season after season. Go to livefromtheloungepodcast.com, hit the donate button, and share whatever you can afford. Thanks for your generosity. Here's the Who Did What. Our Lounge is produced by Ann Kloss Farley. Double Batch Daddy is our house band. John Ballinger joined them this month with his playing and arrangements of Season Cycle, All in the Golden Afternoon, and Lazing on a Sunny Afternoon. The Gay Man Who Did Not Seem Gay Enough was written by the burglars of Ham, Matt Almos, John Beauregard, Carol Almos, and Albert Dayan. Matt Almos narrated the piece, and the cast included John Beauregard, J.J. Mays, Tim Sheridan, Nick Arnzen, Carol Almos, and Patrick Riley. Special thanks to J.P. Karliak for stopping by the lounge to share his story with us, and I'm your host, Keith Farley. We'll be back in a month or so with another collection of stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you to learn, to love, to lounge.